0: The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org.
1: You have done something remarkable. You and you alone could have dreamed up the cross and then executed it and then freed people by it. Bless your name. And I pray, Father, Son, and Spirit, that you would so grab us here today that we would not forget it or let it pass on from us or become old hat. Help us to be captured by it and lost in it and assured by What it points to, it points to a God who is at work to redeem. A God who is a God of power wielded in love for our good and for your glory. So stir us today, Lord, to to hope in you to be encouraged by you and to act. Would you take these passages that we'll look at today, just a few words, will you take them and will you shape the minds of us, your people? Will you, will you shape the, the trajectory of our church as a, as a whole? Will you make us a people who are concerned about your kingdom work, want to be involved in it, are, are eager to be involved in it, dependent on your power? And would you use us then to spread the fame of Jesus everywhere? So have your way among us, Lord, I pray. Send your Spirit here in our midst. Move us to confession of sin if we need to to clear anything out of the way. Help us to to focus our attention and to give our, our minds to what you will say to us today. And make your church what it should be. For your glory and for our good, I pray this. Amen. This morning we give our attention to one focused topic in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 20. We've been working through the book of 1 Corinthians this last week, and if if you were here last week, you you notice that we finished up chapter 4. And as we drew that to a a close there, I I made the observation that Paul is kind of concluding the first major section of the book. He's kind of drawing to a close what he's been talking about for the first several chapters now. And he did so last week by calling the Corinthians and every church everywhere, as he said, to live lives that are consistent with the gospel, that are consistent with the message that is about sacrifice, dying to self for the sake of the honor of God and for the good of others. So he called us to that last week. calls every church to that. Verse 20 exists in that context. As he finishes that argument up, and confronts the arrogant in the church who are resistant to this instruction. And he says, as we noticed last week, that, that he's going to come, if God wills, and the arrogant in the church will find themselves opposed to the power of God and opposed by the power of God. Paul says, I'll come and, and I will find out not just their talk, but their power. Meaning, we're going to find that they are all talk and powerless. Because... Paul knows that he's about the the mission of God, the kingdom of God, and the power of God is with him, and they are not, and so the power of God will be against them. That's that's the context in which verse 20 exists. We saw that last week. But I want to hang out here for one more week and draw just a little bit more out of verse 20, kind of unpack it a little bit, some of the terms there and some of the ideas that are are hinted at there because of the connection to chapter 2, where he uses some similar terms, and And kind of explains on the the front side of what he means by some of these words of power and word or talk. And I want to do this because I think it will be helpful for us as a church to think about some of the ramifications of these ideas as we seek to follow after Paul, be faithful to what Paul, God, calls us to, calls us to be. So I think this morning that there will be... a a bit of a corrective here for us a bit of a motivator and a reminder of something that should be encouraging we live with God if you're a Christian we live with God in a kingdom of power we live in relationship to a God who is a God of power we have on our side power Which should be an encouragement for you, and when we see what the power is for, it should be a motivator and maybe a bit of a corrective. So that's what we're going to look at today, talking about a kingdom of power. And I'm going to read the text here, and notice what I'm going to read. I'm going to read in chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, and then immediately chapter 4, verse 20. They are connected by some words, and I'll explain that after I read the passage. So this is chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, and then immediately 4.20. Paul writes, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech, lofty word, or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness, and in fear, and much trembling. And my speech, my word, and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Verse 20, For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. These are the passages for this morning. And obviously they are connected by the words word and power. This is word not used in the sense that we often use it, the the word of God. It's it's a human word, which is why it's sometimes translated speech or talk. Human word. And most of the time in this context, it has a negative meaning. He's speaking, as he does in chapter 1, verse 17, another verse that I, I could have read. Chapter 2, verse 1, same idea. Paul does not want anything to do with eloquent word, lofty word, beautiful word, persuasive word, talk or speech. This is the kind of thing that was rampant in Corinth, you'll recall, highly prized there. Was, the city was overrun with orators, with philosophers, with teachers, with persuaders, with advice givers. Everybody talking, and and the whole game was about how well you could sell your position. Not really about the truth of the position, how well you could sell it. And somebody who had a great skill at communicating could gather quite the following. Notice the skill in the communicating. And Paul says, I don't want anything to do with that lofty, eloquent, humanly wise word. Not, importantly, because he couldn't play that game. He could. The book of Acts records that in one city where Paul preached, he spoke so eloquently that people thought he must be a god and tried to worship him. He could speak persuasively, powerfully, eloquently, but he avoids it in Corinth. Why? That's the other half of the contrast. Word, the other half. Verse 20, the kingdom of God does not consist in word, talk, but in power. And Paul turns away from this because he wants to lean into and trust in and be dependent upon power, power from God. As he says in verse 4, my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. He wants power from God, not human power. Because, verse 5, if I go with human power... Your faith is going to be on a faulty foundation. It's going to be not genuine. Power from God. That's the contrast in this passage. So that's what we're going to be looking at a little bit today in the context of the kingdom of God. 420 says that the kingdom is not about word but about power. So word and power in the context of kingdom. And my prayer is that God would use this to resolutely turn us, like Paul, turn us away from human word, away from human technique, into and towards and relying on the power of God for the sake of the kingdom. It's my hope today. I pray for that, that God will do that in my life and in our life as a church, to turn us from the world's techniques to the power of God for the sake of the kingdom. So if I summarize this all this morning in a sentence, here's what I'm shooting at. My main point for this morning. God expects His people to be about His kingdom work. Trusting in His power to do it. God expects His people to be about His kingdom work. Trusting in His power to do it. That's what Paul was about in Corinth. One of his people... A minister called to do God's kingdom work and deliberately, consciously focusing on God's power to carry it out, not some other false power. And that's what he chastises the Corinthians on and and calls them to be about kingdom work in God's power. And it's what he means for us as a church. We as people, about his work, trusting in his power. That's where we're going. I want to make two observations about that. My first one just expands on on the central idea here. It's sort of getting the facts on the table. He writes verse 20 within within the context, as I talked about it last week, and within the context of chapter 2, the whole beginning argument of the book, and that helps us understand what he means when he says the kingdom of God is not about word or about talk, but about power. So my first point here, The power of God advances and sustains the kingdom of God. The power of God advances and sustains the kingdom of God. And I need to start by emphasizing, kind of leaning in the beginning here, on the kingdom part. We need to make sure we understand what the kingdom of God is. Paul uses it here in the Gospels. Jesus uses it often. Others use it often without any explanation because this idea the kingdom of God reaches back into the Old Testament and would have been widely understood. On the one hand, the kingdom of God is not that complicated. It's just the realm in which God is king. So, you know, on the one hand here, it's just like in every other kingdom. Alexander the Great's kingdom is the realm in which Alexander is ruler. Pharaoh's kingdom, it's the realm in which he is Pharaoh. God's kingdom, the realm in which God rules. It's just like every other kingdom, sort of, because it's a little more complicated than that. As we work through the Bible, we realize through the Old Testament that, yes, God has a kingdom with his little ethnic people, Israel, a little kingdom amongst all the kingdoms. We also realize there's a much bigger picture here. Because while God is king of these people, He also is asserting repeatedly, I'm king of everything. I am the king of kings. This is the kingdom of kingdoms. He created everything and is the rightful ruler over everything. And though it has rebelled against Him, what He is about through the Old Testament in ethnic Israel is laying the foundation and illustrating for us a plan by which he's going to regain his rightful rule over all of the earth as the waters cover the sea. He does it, he begins just with this little people and this, this little spot on earth. But he's shooting for the whole thing. Every tongue and tribe and people and nation, every every little geographic corner of the globe. He will stretch out his hands and say, Mine. Because it is His. He's about that even right now. How? Well, the Old Testament unpacks that for us too. He's going to do it through His Anointed One, God come in flesh, the Messiah. And Psalm 2 says, He promises to give to His Son, the Messiah, all of the nations as His inheritance. And this Messiah will reign over all of them. That is the big storyline of the Bible, and and I expect, I hope that most of us, as I talk about that, I I think most of us kind of know that. I'm calling it to the forefront, because the problem is most of us know that and and forget about it, and and really what, what develops is a Christianity that's about me and God. And, and that can be a, a wonderful, life-changing reality for you individually and God, or you and your family and God, or you and the people in your gospel community, the people in your church. Amen. Hallelujah. Good. Oh, it is good. But don't forget the big picture. Bring it forward. It's about something much larger. The kingdom is vast. Vast. It is not just about me. It is about me, not just about me. It's big. He aims to spread the rule of this king everywhere. And the oddball thing is that right now this king is crucified, risen, not here. You've got to put these things together. How is a kingdom expanding with the king, last most people heard, dead and not here? He was raised, but the dead part is a problem. How do you expand the kingdom of a king who was crucified? A shameful, ridiculous thing. How does that happen? Not by word, but by power. It's Paul's point. Not by word, but by power. The power of God advances and sustains the kingdom of God. Not the power of the sword. Not the power of human persuasion. The power of God does. Not the word of God. So now I'm going to lean on the, the power of God part. We've got kind of a, the picture of the kingdom and the kingdom needing to be expanded How does it happen? The power of God is the one that advances and sustains the kingdom, not human word. And just to be clear, remember, when we talk about human word, it's not just talk. It's the stuff that humans rely on to make things happen. Technique, human abilities and capabilities, the way you win friends and influence people. Not that, but the power of God. Well, why not that? Because of what the kingdom is. The kingdom is a question of who is king. The kingdom is the place where God reigns. And would it not be odd that in a place where God reigns, he would be dependent on us to enthrone him? Would it not be odd that a place where God says, I am the one who reigns? Now, please convince people of that by your own power. That's not how it happens. The power of God does that work. So of course it wouldn't be about word, but more importantly than that, the power of God is needed because of the nature of the problem in expanding the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is expanded, is advanced into realms, both physically into into nation states and spiritually into hearts, that are against Him, hardened against Him. And no human talk can change that. Because the problem in that hardening, it's not an intellectual problem. It's a spiritual problem of a heart that is set against God. And the Scriptures are so clear, so set against God that we are not just unwilling to submit to Him, unable, it says, dead in our sin. And the same kind of person who is physically dead, is that's the same kind of death as a spiritual death. It's just that absolute, it's just that that powerful in its hold. Like we can't talk a dead man into standing up. We can't talk a spiritually dead person into trusting Christ. Power is needed for that. And the same kind of power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to raise spiritually dead people, give them sight, and draw them to Christ. It's the power of God that advances the kingdom. So... The first point here is just a simple one. It's the power of God that advances and sustains the kingdom of God. So what's God about here, he's about the kingdom and he's about advancing it with his power. So we should stop right here and think about what does that mean for you? it at least means this. You are not defenseless, abandoned, orphaned, powerless and alone. I I talk to people, often I talk to people, and the issues that you're facing in your life, I face issues too, but I'm talking to people who face issues in life that seem just insurmountable. How in the world can I fix this? Say it's a problem with, with a particular sin in you or a problem with a particular sin in somebody else that keeps afflicting you. How can I... What can we do about that? You live in a kingdom that is advanced and sustained by power. And it is not dependent on you to organize it and fix it and make that person change or get yourself in order. There is power from God at work in the kingdom where you live. So don't lose heart. Christian, every day in your struggle, every day in your struggle against sin, against circumstances in the world, Do not forget that at your side you have a God who is omnipotent. Nothing triumphs over him. Nothing passes through his hands that he wishes he could have stopped, but can't. He stands with you and for you in power. Don't lose heart there. He will sustain you and He will keep you from all evil and do you good, protect you as He sees fit. There is a reality there that should lift up your soul amidst extremely difficult circumstances. Your marriage is really difficult. Your finances are in a shambles. Your health is, is collapsing. You know, these, are, these are the physical, tangible things of life. You find yourself weighted down by a sin habit you seem not, uh, unable to break. Spiritual realities. In all those things, you have a God. You have been brought into relationship with a God who has power over them. You should be encouraged by that. I want to say that clearly, but that's not the main point. Because the main point, as I'm seeing this here, is about action. So in my second observation, just a moment, I'm going to call us to action, but I want to point out where I get that before I I make the point. In 2, 1 to 5, what is Paul talking about? He's talking about how he is aware. He knows there is power in God. He says it twice, in 4 and in 5. He knows of the power of God, which is why he, he turns away from the human wisdom. But he does not say, and therefore I was encouraged. I didn't lose heart. Although surely that happened. He was encouraged and did not lose heart. That's not what he says though. What he says is, I came in weakness and in fear and in much trembling and preached the gospel. Trusting in the power of God. There's an action there. In fear and trembling, he realizes the responsibility. In weakness, he realizes, I'm going to step into Corinth. Corinth. Remember Corinth? I'm going to step into Corinth practically, figuratively speaking, naked. I'm going to step in and speak a message that nobody likes in Corinth. Remember the rest of chapter 1? They're going to regard this as foolish or as offense. And I, in weakness, am going to step out and simply speak that message? How is that going to work? By power. So from that, I make the second observation that we are called to actively trust in the power of God alone to advance and sustain the kingdom of God. To actively trust. So... Yes, the reality of the power of God means that you should be encouraged and should not take heart when you face daunting circumstances. But a step beyond that, the power of God remembered means that you should act. You should step out trusting this power and this power alone. This exhortation is a logical application of that point. Given that the kingdom is not advanced by word, what should I do? Trust the power and step out. There are two problems here. First, if we, and some of us aren't here, if we actually step out, it, there's a strong temptation that we will rely on the, the word, the techniques of the world. Because we look around from a certain perspective, when looking at the immediate, boy, that approach can create some results. If you speak persuasively and wisely, you can draw a crowd. People will come. If you build a church service, there are people... in in America, people in the valley, people you can click on the internet and watch, people you can go physically and attend there. And, and I don't want to be mean-spirited because most of those folks are Christians. But we should raise a question here and realize if you would plan a church service and you would focus on a fast-paced church service with an excellent band with proper lighting, maybe pipe in a little bit of concert smoke. I'm serious. Churches do that. I'm serious. Churches do that. Maybe you pump a little bit of that in, and and you sing songs that sound like the stuff that that we're used to hearing on the radio, and you you lace it with with self-deprecating humor, and you speak about compassion for people and how God accepts everybody, no strings attached, and how the church has always messed it up in the past, but now we've got it right. If you talk like that with any bit of eloquence and, and a speaker has any bit of compassion and any bit of, of charisma, that place will grow. Unless you've hidden under a rock somewhere and nobody ever hears about it. But if you advertise it well, that'll grow. And it is a strong temptation for us to, to, to not look at that and say, man, that works. We should be like that. But we, I, I would suggest we should ask our brothers and sisters who are doing that, we should just ask the question. Does this style closely resonate, closely resonate with and do justice to the message of a humble, ridiculed man of sorrows? Does it resonate with, does does this style connect with the message of a man who walked the earth shunned, crucified? is at the center of this, what is, what is front and center offered, creating an offense. Not because you're speaking offensively, but because the message in and of itself confronts proud sin and says there is only one way to be forgiven. That message will strike people either as an offense or as ridiculous. Not as attractive until God gives saving, eye-opening faith. So we should ask our brothers and sisters, we should ask them to consider, is at the heart of this other system, is at the heart of it a trusting in the techniques of man, word, rather than in the power of God to change people and open eyes? There's a warning there from Paul, and we need to consider that. But we can't stop there, and I'm eager that we not stop there, because if we stop there, like in much of life, if you just stop at warning or at prohibition, you run the risk of ending up stunted and negative. As I think through our church, I think that in some ways we are stunted. We know what not to do, to some degree. We know what not to do. But what do we do? We need to hear the rest of the story. What we what we are to do because we cannot just live... And think about this. This is a terrible way to live. We cannot live lives of refraining. I don't do this. I don't do that. I know that's wrong. I don't... We also need to live lives of actively embracing. So what is it that we do? So I'm about action here, about actively trusting in the power of God to build the kingdom. Stepping out and, and engaging actively. This is a problem for us, I think. Overall, as a church, we are not more inclined towards embracing the techniques of, of human persuasion and making things overly attractive to the world out there Overall, as a church, we just don't engage with the world out there. So that solves that problem. It solves it wrongly, though. We're very comfortable talking about the kingdom of God, the power of God, denigrating the manipulation of the message. But I think that a good bit of the time, that that whole conversation becomes like one between those two old guys up in their own private peanut gallery at the Muppets. You know those two guys? Sitting up there constantly talking about what should be never on the stage. Never. That I've seen. Not that I watch the Muppets regularly anymore, but not that I recall. (laughs) They're always up there critiquing. It would be better if. They shouldn't have done. We can't be that. We, we have to critique graciously, kindly, ask our brothers and sisters, is this faithful? But we can't stop there. We must actively engage. So, remember then, the bigger context. You live with God in a world in which he is concerned to expand his kingdom by his power, using his people. Us. By his power. Expanding his kingdom. And we miss something important if we fail to remember my life with God exists in the context of him expanding his kingdom. We end up a bit like a soldier who overlooked warfare or national defense and focused purely on the government's financial investment in him and his family. Think of a soldier like this who lives just thinking, man, isn't it just wonderful that the government wants to feed me and that the government wants to clothe me and provide health care for me and mine and is committed to train me in leadership skills. And give me some technical skills that I wouldn't have. And enables me to see the world. And it gets me physically fit and mentally tough. Man, what a gracious Uncle Sam I have. And then the next week says, Whoa, 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 I don't want to go to Iraq. Afghanistan, Korea, the Philippines. Those places are dangerous. I didn't sign up for that. If we met a soldier like that, we would say... I you've significantly misunderstood something. Yes, you were enlisted for that. And all of the care and all of the clothing and all of the training and all of the equipping exists for that if it should come to it. That's why He clothes you and feeds you and cares for you and shelters you. Similarly, Christian, our Lord feeds us and clothes us and cares for us and works so intimately with us and is concerned to develop us on the inside and protect us on the outside to sustain His kingdom in us. So that, write so that on your paper, please. Write so that on your paper. So that... He will be glorified not just in us, but out there as his kingdom is advanced. Beyond just you, beyond just your life, your family, like any servant or any soldier, our Lord shapes and protects and blesses so that we will be deployed and effective in the field. Do you know Psalm 67? A beautiful psalm, one of my favorites. I have a lot of favorite psalms, but Psalm 67 is an awesome one. Do you know Psalm 67? Turn to Psalm 67. The first couple verses of Psalm 67 are the so that that I asked you to write down. Verse 1 May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. And beautifully, the psalmist writes right there Selah. Remember from preaching through the Psalms before that, that Selah is a term designed to make us pause and think. And maybe as you pause there, your mind would, would wash back over oh, the awesome and gracious power of God on my life. As He is gracious to me and blesses me and makes His face shine upon me. That's a figure. To turn your face towards someone is to create fellowship with them and to to honor them and bless them rather than to turn away. He turns His face toward me. He's so good to me. He does this with me. I wonder why. Selah. Why? Is it all about me? Is it so that He'll only be glorified in me? Selah. I'm thinking. I'm wondering. Why? Next verse. That. There's the so that. That your way may be known on earth. Your saving power among all nations. There's the kingdom going and expanding. You live with God in a kingdom of power. Which means that His grace and His blessing and His goodness and His face shines upon you. Oh, you are so fortunate. Christian, you are so fortunate. Do not lose heart. Do not be hopeless. But all of that, so that the nations will know of Him and rejoice in Him. There is a bigger purpose. We must be people who are conscious of this fact and then like Paul, will look at a Corinth and say, I'm shaking in my boots as I look at Corinth. But I live with a God who is powerful and has drawn me to Him so that Corinthian pagans... Will know him and worship him. I will then go trusting. The kingdom is a kingdom of power, and it will conquer Corinth as well, wherever he desires. It's the marching orders of the church that we're so familiar with Acts 1 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. You will receive power, and you will be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. It's why he gave us the Spirit. It's why he has given us power that we may be witnesses to the ends of the earth. So the point here is that Paul expects us to be about expanding the kingdom, to be engaged in kingdom work not relying on the techniques of the world, but actively trusting in the power of God because the kingdom is about power. The kingdom is advanced by power. The kingdom is sustained by power. So ask yourself then, brother or sister, where do you need to be involved in the work of the kingdom? Maybe you want to ask, where do I need to be involved in the work of kingdom, comma, where I have not been previously involved out of fear who do you need to befriend and I probably mean if you already know who that is and you know their name but who do you need to befriend what neighbor that's what I've been thinking about my neighbors I, I know some of my neighbors names I wouldn't say I'm friends with any of them and that's a daunting thing for me because if, if you've met some of my neighbors, you know we are quite different. I don't really know what to do about that. I have some other folks that I'm around that I need to befriend. Do you, who do you need to befriend? And I mean develop a relationship. Have to your home for dinner. Sit with over coffee and talk. Talk. Which of your friends do you need to start a conversation with? And bring up, a question I often use is, so do you come from some kind of a spiritual background? The conversation starting question. Whatever they say, you've got a conversation. Do you need to consider new types of ministry? Something you've been refraining from. Not involved in it. We have some folks I, I know who are connected to going down to the rescue mission. Some folks who are connected with the Crisis Pregnancy Center. Some things there that you, that you could do and just haven't. I, I'm praying, I, I, as I said at the beginning, I've become increasingly reconvinced that we would do well to see the nation's as a church. And so I, I'm thinking and praying about what, what does beyond just Kim and Benno, What does our church in connection with the corners of far corners of the earth? What what do we have to do with one another? Do you realize I mean we talk about befriending starting a conversation with praying for that'd be people around here and we often talk how we live in a mission field. And there's some truth to that. I say some truth to that. But in a whole different scale, the nations, there, there are some say 20, 25000 Christians in this state. I don't know how you count that, but let's assume it's 25,000. A state of a couple million people. How many? Two and a half million? I don't know. Work out the percentage there. And then think of the country of Turkey. 70 million people. Less than a thousand Christians. 35 times the size of Utah. 125th the number of Christians. The scale in the nations is totally different than it is here. So, yes, we live in a mission field, but not really. Not by comparison. And I'm praying, I'm, I'm hoping that, that some of you, perhaps God is going to say, you're only 12 years old right now, but in 10 years, I see you somewhere else. And that you would catch a vision for that. And God would begin to move you and call you. Maybe some of you are 50 years old and need to go right now. I don't know. But are there new types of ministry that you need to consider? New giving habits that you need to consider? point is what do you shrink from in fear when the kingdom work that's before us is meant to be for us to do in his power and for his glory that is before us brothers and sisters and it is one thing to know how not to do it but we must engage and actively trust God's power. The good thing is that he is committed to building his church, to expanding his kingdom. And when you step into that work with him, you'll find him there in a unique way. Some of us, our lives are, are flat. And you're kind of feeling a little Maybe empty is a word for it. Maybe kind of restless. Some of that could be because you are in the house and God is out in the field and there is a distance between you that would close if you would walk out into the field and begin to labor with Him. You step into a situation where you need the power of God and the power of God is available. You will find it in unique ways. God will show himself to you in unique ways. My hope and my prayer for us as a church is that we would actively engage with him and join with him in his kingdom work as his people by his power. So I'm going to pray for now. Pray with me, please.
0: Oh, God.